0: If you have your Bibles If you would open them to Exodus chapter 20 Exodus chapter 20 Our text is Verse number 16 Of Exodus 20 You shall not give false testimony Against your neighbor We're studying the Ten Commandments Now we come to the ninth Which I think is often misstated as do not lie, you shall not lie. And I think that lying, as we'll see, is covered by this commandment, but there's much more that is commanded than simply don't lie. So some things to consider. The first thing, and this is brought up by one of the early reformers, one of the leaders in the Reformation, is why is this commandment in the Ten Commandments? And the reason he asked this question is because he said it's already been stated earlier in the Ten Commandments. God has already said that we should not misuse the name of the Lord our God. So why are we then told that we are not supposed to bear false witness or bring false testimony against our neighbor? And his answer was that behind this uh, commandment is the assumption that the, the inability to speak truthfully to one another has everything to do with our inability to speak truthfully about God. When we misuse God's name We're not speaking truthfully And if we can't speak truthfully about God Then are we going to speak truthfully About our neighbors When one fails to speak truthfully about the creator When one misuses The name of the Lord our God in vain Then we should not be surprised that such a person Would in fact give false testimony Against his or her neighbor By the way Just The thought here that there's another part to the you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God in vain For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name So why is this in, in the Ten Commandments? Well, like the other commandments, we are reminded of the nature of God who is our creator The Ten Commandments reveal God to us the nature of God is, in fact, the foundation of these ten laws, these ten commandments. There there's no other God. There's only one God. God is alone. That is the first commandment. God is spirit, so we are not to have graven images. Um, we are not to misuse his name because his name is a revelation of who he is. God has given us time and rest. That we are to observe The Sabbath day. God gave us life through our parents. We are to honor our parents, our fathers, and our mothers. We are not to take away the gift of life which God has given to us, so do not murder. Marriage is a picture of God's relationship with his people. We are not to commit adultery. What we have has been given to us by God, it's been entrusted to our care. We're stewards of it, therefore do not steal. And now we come to this ninth commandment, do not bear false witness. God is truth. We are made in his image. Therefore, as God is truth, we are to speak truthfully. The word truth appears about 130 times in the Bible, 43 times in the Old Testament, more than double in the New Testament, 87 times, and 21 times, not like a quarter of that, is found in the Gospel of John. And what I take away from this, and I think you should as well, is that the truth is living and personal. It isn't simply a matter of facts, you know, which is usually how we think of truth. You know, tell the truth. Just tell the truth. But what do we hear in the Gospel of John? In chapter one, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then a few verses later, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But then some would counter, Damon, I, I know the gospel of John myself. And in chapter 8, it says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, and then later on in chapter 8, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So it's like, it, it looks like it's information. It's like it's facts. But I would point out what Jesus said later in chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then later he gives the promise of the Spirit. And how does he put it? I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Chapter 15, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, The spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. Jesus is the truth. The spirit is the spirit of truth who comes from the father. Rather than thinking of truth as something cold and impersonal, you know, the facts, just the facts. It is, in fact, alive. It is real. It's personal. I don't know that we think of it that way. God is truth. It's revealed here in the ninth commandment. And since we are made in the image of the creator who is truth, we are to speak truthfully. One more passage from John. When Jesus was before Pilate, this is in chapter 18. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Truth is a witness. It is that to which we witness in Christ who is truth. When we speak truthfully, it may never occur to us, but when we speak truthfully, there is underneath it the reality that God is truth and that Jesus is truth. When we speak the truth, we recognize who Jesus was and is and what he has done. On the other hand, Satan is the father of lies. Going back to chapter eight here in John, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, that's the sixth commandment, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. One writer has written about this. There is no sin more precious to the devil than the lie. For the devil knows that we never lie more readily than when we do so in the name of a love that is undisciplined in the truth of Christ's cross and resurrection. There are times when we, we, yeah, I can justify this lie, and we are speaking the native tongue of the devil. So why is this commandment even here in these 10? Well, God created us in his image. He created us with tongues. He gave us the ability of speech so that we might communicate with one another. These are gifts from God. And what is the purpose of communication? A mutual edification and support for the common good. We are to be in community. We're, we're social beings. It's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. We are to work as community. And we do that when we speak to one another. When we speak truthfully to one another. The reality is, we are sinners, we are fallen, we are broken. We sang earlier, false and full of sin I am, thou art full of truth and grace. But we need to recognize that God made us to speak truthfully. He gave us tongues. He gave us the gift of speech that we might communicate with each other and to do so truthfully. So that's the first thing to consider. The second is why doesn't the commandment simply say, do not lie? Because that's normally what we think of. If I were to ask you today, if I gave you a paper and say, write out the Ten Commandments, that's probably what you would put for the Ninth Commandment do not lie. Well, there's something that happens here, and I don't know if you've noticed it. The focus seems to be, as with the three previous commandments, on our relationship with our fellow human beings, with our neighbor. In Luke 10, we read of a conversation between Jesus and an expert in the law. I'm sure it's familiar to you, but let me remind you. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So there's an adversarial thing going on here. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Is, this is the question when we come to this and other commandments, who in fact is my neighbor? We will see with the 10th commandment, you are not to con- covet what belongs to your neighbor. We are not to bear false witness or testimony against our neighbor. Jesus responds, as I'm sure you know, with the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's very familiar to us, and I think we fail to recognize how terrible this sounded to Jesus' first listeners. Um, to speak of a good Samaritan would be an equivalent in our time to speak of a good Nazi. And yet Jesus tells the story about, he tells a parable about this man. A man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho where he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away and leaving him half dead. Here, the Good Samaritan shows hospitality to someone who is a stranger. And what makes somebody a stranger? Who is a stranger? Who are the strangers in our lives in our world? A stranger can be someone without place, somebody who is disconnected from community, from life-giving relationships and networks. Some cases they are refugees and homeless. In other cases they are alienated, they are people with disabilities, or they are people who in fact don't have any disabilities, they have a place to live, they have a job, but they have no place where they can contribute. They're sort of out there on their own. In this story, it is a person in need, which should tell us, by the way, that even our next door neighbors, the people who live around us, they can, in fact, be strangers. When we see them in need, we are to do what we can to help them. So in this story, the Samaritan is a stranger, okay? But the man who's been beaten up is also a stranger. They're strangers to each other. This man had been ambushed. He was in need. He didn't have a place. He was alone. Two other people come before the Samaritan. They are religious people, the priest and the Levite. Both of them had religious duties with connection to the temple. And in fact, they were probably on their way to the temple to carry out religious or spiritual tasks. Probably not the right way to put it, but that's how they thought of it. And so they leave the man. He's a stranger. They don't know him. They leave him there on the side of the road. And the Samaritan comes and he helps the man. And he does something that is counter-cultural, that he should help a Jew. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And yet the man goes counter to that cultural norm. It involved risk you see somebody who's been beaten up, he's been left on the side of the road half dead, how do you know that the people who did that haven't left? If you slow down, if you stop, if you help this guy, you may be next. And so it involved a great deal of risk. This may be why the Levite and the priest didn't stop, because like, I've got to get to the temple, and if I slow down, I might be next. Um, and the third thing is, it involved cost and ongoing costs. So the Samaritan takes him to an inn, he binds up his wounds, he gives money to the innkeeper and says, well here, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for the extra expense that you may have. He took care of the man's wounds on site, put him on his donkey, and then took him to an inn where he could recover. I would suggest to you That not bearing false witness, not speaking false testimony, not lying, that is to say, speaking the truth, can have the same attributes as the Samaritan helping the man who fell among thieves. First of all, it's countercultural. I mean, if you think about it, who in our culture consistently speaks the truth? We don't expect that. Secondly, it can involve risk. When you speak the truth, people are like, yeah, you watch out, watch out what you say there. And thirdly, it can involve cost and ongoing cost. I see this second commandment of loving our neighbors ourself as the visible, the concrete expression of the first commandment that we love the Lord our God. So the way that I speak about my neighbor, truthful or not truthful, like it or not, is how we speak or how we think about God. I don't know if you remember. I hope you remember what Lonnie read to us last night as a med- uh, last Sunday as a meditation before communion. It's from C.s. Lewis, The Weight of Glory. There are no ordinary people. you have never talked to a mere mortal next to the Blessed Sacrament itself. Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Third thing to consider are some of the case laws that flow out of this commandment. You may remember we talked about this, uh, how that we have ten commandments and all the rest of the law comes from this, these ten commandments. Some are one-to-one, but some involve more than one commandment. I'll only mention one passage in this regard. This is uh, from Deuteronomy 19. One witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness takes a stand to accuse a man of crime, the two men involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in the office at that time. The judges must make a thorough investigation and if the witness proves to be a liar giving false testimony against his brother then do to him as he intended to do to his brother. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid and never again do, will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. There was to be a penalty for bringing false testimony against your neighbor. In our current judicial system, we refer to it as perjury. There are penalties for perjury, it's not a light matter. But what we find in the Mosaic laws, you know, whatever would have happened based on my testimony, if I give t- false testimony against someone that would have resulted in them being executed, and then they find out that I lied, then guess who gets executed? I do. Or if I say I saw someone steal something, but he didn't, uh, restitution has to be made, I have to do the restitution. So we are to speak truthfully, or we will suffer the consequences. The fourth thing to consider, and we've talked about this, is the countercultural nature of speaking the truth. Why is it that people bear false witness, false testimony, or lie? One writer has given a list of reasons why people might lie. I'll mention some of them Uh, to improve my ideological beliefs or to impose them, to prove that I am or was right, to appear competent, to avoid responsibility, to get promoted, to attract the lion's share of attention, to ensure that everyone likes me, to minimize immediate conflict. Later in the same chapter, this writer says, The capacity of the rational mind to deceive, manipulate, scheme, trick, falsify, minimize, mislead, betray, prevaricate, deny, omit, rationalize, bias, exaggerate, obscure is so endless, so remarkable, that centuries of pre-scientific thought concentrating on clarifying the nature of moral endeavor regarded it as positively demonic. We might, in our world, give psychological reasons for why people lie. Well, in the pre-modern world, people are like, yeah, that's demonic. There's something very seriously wrong here. This is something that is sinful. And I just don't think that even as God's people, we think in those terms anymore. By the way, some of you may have guessed, but this material uh, comes from a book by Jordan Peterson entitled 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos. It was published in 2018, that's four years ago. It sold over five million copies. And it really has captured the imagination of a generation because it is truly countercultural. Rule number eight for him is tell the truth or at least don't lie. And it's really strange that the, that the younger generation never really heard anything like this. What, I, I'm, I'm not to lie, I'm to tell the truth? Well, if you knew the Ten Commandments, then you would know that, but if you don't, then this sounds new and strange, and in many ways, quite wonderful. What would, what would happen if this rule was followed? I suggest that the advertising industry might go out of business. Politics would require a true transformation And the psychology of the West That's where we are Would have to change You see we expect people to lie to us That's sort of the default position That's what we expect People see an ad and think Well that can't possibly be true About that product And then we go out and buy it People hear campaign promises And think well there's no way He or she will keep those promises and then we vote for them anyway. It's sort of what we expect. We fail to recognize in the process that the ninth commandment has been violated. Grievously. We need to admit that in our society there's a greater demand for false rumors than there is for truth. After all, the language of the devil is lies. The fifth thing to consider is the matter of slander. There are different things that fall under this ninth commandment, but slander is one that I want us to consider. It's been defined as false and malicious defamation of another's reputation and character, tending to disgrace him in the eyes of the community. The falseness ties it to being false testimony, but the reputation and character disgrace in the eyes of the community, this ties to the neighbor. Don't say something false about your neighbor because this neighbor is part of the community that you're a part of and you may disgrace him or her by your lies. In this age of the quick spreading of information, I mean, I think 40 years ago, even before the internet, this was still true with newspapers, telephones, television, radio, we are able to get out information rather quickly. In this age, this commandment is violated on a regular basis. If you're checking out the grocery store, you're waiting in the line, you see tabloids loudly proclaiming things that are not true about people that are in the public eye. Often, they are intended to belittle a person in the eyes of the community. We, after all, are that community. Talk shows that spread gossip, so-called, about others. During this pandemic, I think we've seen sort of an epidemic of the violation of this commandment. So many false things have been said about others with little or no basis of such statements. I think that slander is a connection between the 8th and the ninth commandment. To slander a person is to steal what belongs to them. That is a good name, a reputation, who they are. And by slandering them, you steal, 8th commandment, with your false testimony, Ninth commandment, and you take away what rightly belongs to them. In Psalm 4.2, the psalmist says, They turn my glory into shame. Used to have good standing in the community, used to have a good reputation, and now it's been torn down by lies, by false testimony. Slander isn't mentioned in the law directly, even in case laws, but we do hear it mentioned in the wisdom literature and the Psalms as well as in the New Testament. Psalm 15, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless, who does what is right, who speaks the truth from his heart, and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong, casts no slur on his fellow men. Proverbs 10 He who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. That is, they act as though God does not exist. In Mark 7, it's also found in Matthew, but in Mark 7, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. From from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, uh, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. In Ephesians 4, which I mentioned last week, not these verses, but a passage from Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, Along with every form of malice Be kind and compassionate to one another Forgiving each other Just as in Christ God forgave you I don't think it's a stretch But it would seem that Paul is pointing to a connection Between unwholesome talk and grieving The Holy Spirit of God We are to build each other up with our speech Not tear down We are not to slander our neighbors and then the last thing to consider is the Sermon on the Mount. What I tried to do in this series is to show the connection between what Jesus said and what we find in the Old Testament law in these Ten Commandments. As the Seventh Commandment forbids all sexual activity outside of marriage, so the Ninth Commandment covers all false speech, not simply false testimony. It covers lying and other things. And here in the in Matthew five, Jesus doesn't deal with lying, uh, slander, but he deals with the matter of oaths, of swearing, not profanity, but simply saying, I, you know, I swear to do this. In the Sermon on the Mount after the Beatitudes, Jesus points out how the commandments have been misused. He gives us six contrasts, and the fourth of the six contrasts uh, deals with the matter of our speech. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. God didn't say this. It's what the teachers have been saying. Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. The first three contrasts we've actually seen in going through this that with the first two. Uh, do not murder, and you know, don't call your brother a fool. Uh, do not commit adultery. Here in the fourth contrast, we have a summary of various commandments which include different categories under the heading of oaths or swearing. We are not to take God's name in vain. We are not to misuse the Lord's name. We are not, well, if we swear, it is to be by God's name. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Interesting. When we speak truthfully, we are doing so in God's name. If we make a vow, okay, if you make a vow to the Lord, if you take an oath to obligate yourself by a pledge, you must keep the oath. You must keep the vow. You are not to lie. You're not to say, well, you know, I was really in trouble at that time, and so I made a promise. And uh, But now everything's fine, and so that I'm sure God will, you know, look past that. Um, the problem in Jesus' time is that the teachers of the law had shifted away from the fact of speaking truthfully to what formula you should use whenever you speak, uh, when you swear, when you speak oaths, when you make vows. And Jesus speaks against you know, swearing. He makes a distinction between swearing by God and by something else. The Pharisees had made a uh, distinction between the formulas which mention God and those that do not. So if you swear by God, you gotta keep that. But if you swear by uh, heaven, or by earth, or by Jerusalem, or by your head, you don't have to keep the promise. Um, And Jesus is like, no, this this is actually wrong. Everything is tied to God. Heaven is God's throne, the earth is his footstool, Jerusalem is the city of the great king, and your head is God's creation. So you are to keep your oath, your vow, your word, period. All the window dressing that you put around it, um, it's just that, it's window dressing. The bottom line is, are you speaking the truth? I, I find it interesting that whenever people say, I swear, I swear I'm telling the truth, that's when I begin to think that maybe they aren't. You know, Rather than simply saying, this, this is what's going on. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is fighting for the integrity of all speech. It's not like, you know, talk, 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 talk. Now swear something, swear an oath, because this is really true. No, no. Everything. Let your yes be yes, your no, no, and anything beyond that, uh, you're speaking the language of the evil one. Christian speech is to be characterized by two things. Simplicity. And honesty honesty in fact I think leads to simplicity it's when you when you tell a lie then you have to remember what the lie is that you told and then you might end up having to tell another lie to cover up that lie and you can't when you tell the truth it's simple it's there you're being honest sadly the church is not known in this age for either of those attributes simplicity or honesty Tons of questions can come up at this point. Like, if swearing is forbidden, why did God swear on oath at various times? For example, uh, to Abraham, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. As if to emphasize and to clarify this, in Hebrews 6, we are told, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there is no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to the argument. I swear to God then, you cannot swear by anything higher. And that sort of ends the argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose, very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God doesn't have to swear. Okay. But God gave an oath and he did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for him to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. God cannot lie. God speaks the truth. So, let's bring this together. What is the point of the various commandments regarding swearing oaths and vows? Um, I think it's the point that Jesus makes as he confirms the law. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, simply tell the truth, okay? Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Simplicity, honesty is to mark our speech. Um, And again, we live in a society in which this is not the default position. And we find ourselves sort of swept along by the culture In the Catechism of 1581, questioned what is the end of this commandment? That is, what is it teaching? The answer is that the simple truth remain among us. Simple truth. An aside, and maybe I should put this a bit earlier. um, What about figures of speech? I mean, we have things like hyperbole, metaphors, similes, Don't they kind of violate the Ninth Commandment? Um, I would argue that the statement of Jesus, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no, um, doesn't deal with the arts, with literature, but it deals with us being truthful as individuals. In other words, that your word can be trusted. In his way of teaching, Jesus used hyperbole extreme example, uh, extreme uh, exaggeration, for example. Some of us insisted that the parables of Jesus must be true because Christians can't use fiction. We can't tell stories. And Jesus would only tell true stories. And, and truthfulness is not the issue there. Um, he is telling a story to convey a truth. Um, so... For example, in the parable of the unmerciful servant in which a servant is called in to repay what he owes his master, 10,000 talents. And what is a talent? Uh, A talent is a monetary uh, unit worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. So 10,000 talents, if you do the math, is 200,000 years of wages. I think it's safe to say that Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's trying to make the point of the impossibility of repaying the debt. The man is toast. I mean, he cannot, there's no way he can possibly pay this debt back. The reality is he was forgiven this immense debt, and then he would not turn around and then forgive someone a much smaller debt. Jesus did not intend that we take what he said regarding truthfulness to apply to all communication. We have metaphors, we have similes, we have descriptive language. These are not forbidden. Literature should have a place for fiction, for uh, satire, for allegory, and much more. Uh, What about the poetry of the Psalms? Um, I went back and forth and debated whether or not to have G.K. Chesterton's uh, poem, The Convert, for our meditation, because yeah, that seems to be outside, you know, we just, just give us the information, give us the facts and all this language, but in fact, there is a place for it. The language is descriptive. It paints a word picture, a mental image. In Psalm 114, why was it, O sea, that you fled, O Jordan, that you turned back, you mountains that you skipped like rams, you hills like lambs? It's very descriptive paints pictures in our minds. This is not a violation of the command with regard to truthfulness or trustworthiness of our word. As I said earlier, you know, when someone says, I swear I'm telling the truth, that's when I begin to get a bit nervous. But we should not say, unless it is in fact prose, direct statement of fact, then it violates the ninth commandment, and that isn't true. We are to be careful what we say. But then this brings up the last thing I want to talk about. Why does God care so much about what we say? Why does he care so much about our words? Well, two things, at least. First of all, God is a speaking God. From the beginning, God spoke. In creating, let there be light. In instructing Adam. In communing with him in questioning him and then those who came after him, in judging, in exile, um, we are made in the image of a speaking God. So what we say is, in fact, of some importance to him. Even after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, they are exiled, God revealed himself by speaking. The Old Testament, after all, is not simply a record of God. Acting but of his speaking And in the New Testament God comes in the flesh And he is called The word In the beginning was The word The Bible is called the word of God It is written verbal communication From God And verbal communication is a part of what it means To be made in the image of God We are to be people who speak the truth which brings us to the second thing, God is holy and he speaks the truth. I read to you a moment ago from Hebrew six, it is impossible for God to lie. And if we are his people, then we are to speak the truth, we are not to lie. If we lie, we don't simply violate the ninth commandment, we misuse his name. if we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we will speak truthfully. Let's pray together. Our Father, we confess that we live in a society filled with lies, with deceit, with manipulation, that language is seen as a tool not for building up, but for selling things, for tearing others down, for wreaking havoc and chaos. It's so striking that a man can write a book that encourages a new generation to think in a new way. And one of the things he says is in fact this ninth commandment. I wonder if we even think about lying as being wrong. We who are your people who know better I just think it doesn't bother us that much certainly not the way that it should we are made in your image you gave us tongues you gave us the ability of speech to communicate to be part of a community as James said the tongue is something that sets the world on fire we can train animals, even creatures in the sea, can't seem to tame our tongues. We confess our untruthfulness to you. And ask that you would forgive us. May we speak truthfully to one another, to our neighbors, to those in need. But realize that it all begins when we speak truthfully about you, when we do not misuse your name, when we see you for who you are, as you've you've revealed yourself in scripture. This is a hard commandment. And apart from your grace and your spirit, we are lost. work in our hearts and our minds. Guide our speech. May we, made in your image, reflect your image by speaking truthfully to each other, to our neighbors, to the world. I thank you for bringing us together today. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place, as we walk through the world. I pray in Jesus' name.